Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today will be Chip Frederick. We will talk about the Vanderbilt baseball roster situation. We went about an hour today, wanted to go longer. Chip and I both had things to do today, so we had to cut it a little bit shorter than we would have liked. For that reason, we did not get to the mailbag, but I will answer those questions privately in the War Room message board, which, by the way, if you're not a subscriber to VandySports.com, that's our private message board. That's how you ask the questions on this podcast. So I would encourage you out there, if you're not a subscriber at VandySports.com, I hope you'll consider paying the $99 a year to do that, and I think you'll find that well worth your money in addition to what we offer you at the podcast here. Our guest line today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk. That's a family-owned injury law firm. If you have a loved one who's been hurt in an accident, give Taylor Sutherland or Russell Belk a call. That number 615-846-6200. See what your rights are. See if they can help. Good guys, friends of the podcast, give them a call if you have a need. Chip Frederick joins me as we talk Vanderbilt baseball. The Commodores had an interesting Major League Baseball draft, to say the least. Not just current players, but commitments who were picked and still plenty of guys left. Some guys in the transfer portal. Uh, Lots of questions that draft answered some of them for us, I think. Uh, Maybe left some things more open to question in other ways. But in any case, we're here to break it down. Chip, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, Chris, good to be with you uh, this morning. And, uh, you know, it is kind of a crazy, what what else would you have if you, during this last year, the year and a half we've had, as far as, um, you know, not expecting the expected and what, what you have as far as roster management and that's going to be, you know, I'm scratching my head here looking and I'm, it's a, an issue that I'm glad I'm not um, going to have to make some decisions because there are going to be some hard decisions on this roster and there's going to be some hard decisions that some players are going to have to make that got drafted and whether they're going to come back. And, and so a lot of up in the air and it gives us uh, something to talk about, of course, but I'm sure it's a stressful time for players and parents and and loved ones who, uh, you know, they're, they're sitting there trying to map out their path of, of baseball future, whether it be professionally or with Vanderbilt. And with the situation of the expanded roster, sure, that helped. And I think it's safe to say that it helped in depth for a lot of teams across the country, expanding the rosters to um, whatever it was this year. What was it? I mean, I know Vanderbilt was forward. Well, I think so- it was... I mean, I, th- I think it was, was 44. It was unlimited Vanderbilt. this year, was it yeah, not? It was un- yeah, yeah, unlimited roster. So Vanderbilt had 44. And, you know, they say the word is they're going to take it to 40 next year. Normally it's 35 in normal years, I think, 35, 33. And then, of course, the dress roster for conference games is 28, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, there's – it's – yes, I mean, it's great that you have the flexibility of having unlimited rosters – uh, but when you look down the road, what does that really do in a normal situation for some of these kids who are wanting to play and wanting to extend their careers and wanting to get on the field? And when things do get back to normal, 
then you're stuck with a glut uh, on your roster of people who, I mean, you know, granted, there's a lot of people who are, you come to Vanderbilt, you're going to be a person who's going to be driven, hopefully, if they're recruiting the, um, the kids the same, which I think they are, and want to play. And you just can't have keep everybody happy, no matter how great the environment it is and uh, how much you're learning from this coaching staff and how great of a city Nashville is and how good you think a school Vanderbilt is. Kids want to play. They've been they, if they're good enough that they've been playing their whole lives. So that's an issue. On um, the other flip side of it, there's some there's a few things that I'm sure we'll talk about. It some decisions that are going to have to be made that will uh, really directly impact um, you know this team's fortunes next year, especially behind the plate. I don't have to tell you that C.J. Rodriguez's decision of what he's going to do, a guy who threw out 65% of the runners, which is really, really good in college. Um, and he controlled the game and called game. He's experienced with lighter and rocker. That's, you can't put a price tag on that. That that would probably be the the most definitively important decision that's going to have to be made here pretty soon. And, and um, but there's others too, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. Yeah. And before we get into some of that, we got to give a shout out to Jason Gonzalez because you texted me not long after we were done with the podcast. And I think you said we totally forgot to talk about Gonzalez. That was an unintentional oversight on our part. He was not listed in MLB.com or in Baseball America's Top 500. And, and so I think with that, kind of out of sight, out of mind, but that's one of those where you could have reasonably foreseen him getting drafted given the skills he's got with the bat, uh, and given the regard for him as a prospect out of high school when he came to Vandy, sure enough, he got picked in the 17th round by the White Sox. I just feel bad. We had a nearly two-hour podcast last week to preview this event, never mentioned him, so I wanted to get that out of the way and and give him his due there. Yeah, I was sensitive to that because I, I, I realized we talked to everybody except Jason, and Jason's got some talent, and you know, he can, who knows, he can possibly develop, um, you know, stay at third or become a first baseman in their minor league system or some other way of, of playing. He's got great bat discipline and, and um, you know, playing in the nine hole. Got to see a lot of pitches, obviously. Uh, Jason's career, you know, had to take a year off in between the junior senior year and, and reorganize some things and came back. And, and it was good to see him uh, back on the roster this year. So, yeah, I, I did mention that. Um, Forgot to mention about his draft opportunity and glad to see that uh, he was uh, selected. Well, and the other one, did we go over Hugh Fisher last week? I think we mentioned him. Yeah, we he mentioned, got picked did, yeah. by the yeah, Diamondbacks. Which, so Yeah, which which is, you know, I mean, once again, people, um, some people might say, well, that's a bit of a head scratcher as far as positioning, as far as where he was taken. But, I mean, the slot value there, $150,000, $147,900, uh, taking the 288th pick. He's got a nasty slider. Um, and, you know, I, I, it was unfortunate that the, the times he got the opportunity just didn't do well the last couple weeks of the season, came in some tough spots to face lefties. But when people ask me, well, why was a guy, you know, why was Fisher taken before this other player? That's just based on. You know, they're they're taking a gamble on a kid who's got stature, who's got a, a nasty pitch that could be that could get some people out if he gets some more confidence and more work. You know, he only threw what was his inning total this year, Chris? I mean, it was thir- 14, 13. something like that. Yes. Yeah. So they're they're just basically taking that on potential, and 
uh, that's what they do. When you get into those, the, the teen rounds, 10 through 20 of the draft, a lot of that is taken on what they envision someone could be, not just in July of 2021, but what they can be down the road three, four, five years from now. All right, let's start with the players on the roster who got picked, who didn't. Just a quick overview. We'll do the same thing quickly for high school, and then we'll sort of do from there the so what in terms of what's left and try to project the roster, which is going to be really hard. We will also touch on the transfer portal. But obviously, Jack Leiter, Kumar Rocker each get picked in the top 10. Rocker got picked at 10th. That's lower than people thought. But he got, I think, a $6 million bonus, which was more commiserate with a top five selection. Good for him. You saw Dominic Keegan get selected around 19th with the Yankees. I think that people I talked to, and this has been publicly reported by other people, believe he's coming back. He's apparently talked about his commitment to, to Tim Corbin and the program. So we're going to assume for the purpose of this podcast that Dominic Keegan does not take whatever would be offered to him by the Yankees, which would be unclear at this point, and returns, but certainly not set in stone. He's got the option. You never know if the Yankees, say, come to the last day of the month and have an extra $500,000 and offer it his way. You just you never know. I think it's unlikely, but just going to cover all our bases there. Luke Murphy taken 104 overall by the Angels. I, I think you would expect him to be gone. C.J. Rodriguez was the real wild card. I'll circle back to him in a minute. Um, and then the other one I didn't see coming, Isaiah Thomas not get, getting drafted at all. Nick Maldonado and Ethan Smith, I especially thought Ethan would get drafted, but didn't. Maldonado wasn't as sure because he's a draft-eligible sophomore, has a little bit more leverage. For all I know, could have thrown a number out there that the pros did want to meet. For all I know, he may want to come back and have a shot at starting, which is, by the way, 100% speculative remark on my part. Wouldn't get to, want to get that out there, but sometimes pitchers do that. So I don't know what his motivations may or may not have been, but he's one I thought could have gotten drafted. I would say on the whole, I think they came out as ba- about as well as you can expect. Thomas, getting him through the draft to me was a stunner. I know it didn't end well for him in Omaha, but he's a, a very talented player. Uh, Ethan Smith, same thing. Talented kid, had a tough year with injury. But I think the one thing the one thing that really shocked me, there, there wasn't a lot in the draft that shocked me. There were some things that maybe surprised me to a mild degree, but I did not expect C.J. Rodriguez to get picked as highly as he did. He went 158th overall. That's round five to the A's. And that is really the probably the, the one thing right now that's caused the most uncertainty is the catching pool. We'll get into that in just a minute. But that was one I, I think that I, I can say this safely. He and his family are very happy being at Vanderbilt. He's a kid who I think could come back and you know improve his draft spot next year. I mean, maybe become a first or second rounder. That said, I think the A's signed some guys – targeted is under slot deals, which gives him some more money to throw at a Rodriguez. I don't know how much it can or will throw at him, but that's the one thing that I think everybody in and around Vanderbilt baseball was like, okay, we did not see that one coming, him being taken at 158. Yeah, and, and he's a Southern California kid. Now, granted, Oakland's in Northern, and uh, but you know he's obviously grew up I'm hearing about Oakland A's baseball along with the Dodgers and the Angels and all that. So that there's a little uh, 
there's a little issue there that makes it a little intriguing, I'm sure, um, being drafted by a California team. But, yeah, that surprised me a little bit. I thought he probably, what do you think he went? 50, 75 picks earlier than expected? Is that what the, the projection was, Chris? Uh, I've got them right here. MLB.com had him 236. BA okay. had him 303. A perfect game had him 299. So it was a little bit earlier. But, look, let's be clear. That's not out of range for the talent he is because he's a catcher who can do a little bit of everything. He can put the bat on the ball. He's an excellent defender. There's so many things he can do. So I don't think it was a reach of a pick. And I want to be clear that none of what I'm saying is that I'm surprised he got picked that high in terms of the talent. I just think that given that he's literally got what, three more years he could use at Vanderbilt, given the, the COVID rule and those sorts of things, um, He's got a lot of leverage. He's got a lot of talent. He's got upside to improve from where he is. I just think given that everybody thought he's happy at Vanderbilt, and I think he is. I'm not saying he's not. Um, a lot of times when a, when a organization picks a player in a spot in the first 10 rounds, it's got a pretty good idea that he's going to sign for whatever it can offer. So that's why it's a surprise. It's not the talent or anything like that. Uh, but, yeah, between the projections and that, I just think, again, not something most people who were in tune to what's going on saw coming. Yeah, and, you, and but you look at it, it becomes a situation when you're betting on yourself, right, Chris? I mean, if you're looking at what the Pirates right. did with, with Henry Davis at number one, and I think there's – there's no doubt that Davis is going to get paid under slot. I don't, I, I think that was a given and he'll probably take it. I mean, I don't think, I don't think Henry Davis uh, is going to get $8 million in that spot. Um, I just don't, I think the pirates probably planned it that way and they needed a catcher. Well, I mean, there's a huge difference between eight. Let's just say he gets six or six and a half, six and a half million dollars versus the slot where CJ is. So are you willing to come back and say, I can get second round money next year, uh, third round money, I can double my money? You know, there, there's all those things that have to be weighed, and that's what he's going to have to do. But um, I am convinced, um, I'm not saying I wasn't, uh, you know, a year ago that uh, C.J. Rodriguez is a big league catcher. I think he is. I think he can develop into one. So really, uh, with the way he played this year, I thought he was um, the way he handled himself in Omaha and, and the Supers and the way he handled Lighter and Rocker to uh, hopefully big league pitchers one day and only improved his, his stock. So that's a decision that he's going to have to weigh when you consider this. And I'm not sure it, it escapes me now what the slot money is. And of course, they can pay over slot if they want to for that pick in the fifth round. But, you know, you've got this is where the intricate part of, you know, you got taxes, you got to pay on that money. And you got if you got an agent, you get so you all those things come off the top. And really, so all of a sudden it becomes, you know, 150, 200,000 less than that that you're going to get in your pocket. And is it worth it whether you can bet on yourself and come back and and perhaps get drafted in the second, you know, early second round next year? Or if he has a hell of a year, maybe earlier than that. So that's what it comes down to. Yeah, and the A's, the perception is that they're going to have a little money to play with. I think slot money for that pick, uh, let me find it exactly. It is, um, is it $347,000? So, okay. let's see, the A's picked in front of him Max Muncy, 
the shortstop from Arkansas or the Arkansas commitment. Zach Geloff from Virginia went in round two, the third baseman. Mason Miller, right-hander from Gardner-Webb, who was picked higher than – he and Geloff both picked higher than they were rated by most of the services. Um, Chase Denzel – or excuse me, Clark – or Denzel Clark, excuse me. They took him in the fourth round. He's an outfielder from Cal State Northridge. He went about where he was projected. So the A's basically at one and four took guys about where the gurus had him rated. And then in two and three took players uh, a little bit above where most people had them predicted. Not a ton, but a little bit. And so I, I think the presumption is they would use some signing money there to throw at a Rodriguez, but they've also got some guys down the line. You look at their top 10 picks, nobody in there was a huge reach as I'm looking at, well, let's see. Their 10th rounder might have been Jack Winkler, a shortstop, or Winkler, excuse me, was not projected in the top 500 by anybody. Uh, the other guys were, so that's a long-winded way of saying that there might be a little bit of money there for Rodriguez. I don't think if the number is the slot that he's offered, my guess for him is it makes too much sense for him to come back. Yeah, it, it's just going to be um, – I'm, I'm really I'm anxious to see what that's going to be. And it might go, Chris, down to the last minute on this. Um, for you know, and if, if Depending on how much – who they sign in, in advance. Uh, and that's the way that works. And I'm glad in this case that it's you know August 1st instead of the August 18th date, uh, dragging it on the first day of class. So – um, you know, it, it'd be pure conjecture right now if I if I had to guess what was going to happen in that situation. But I know with Vanderbilt fans, based on his success, it would be like getting a a major major recruit in your corner if you get him to come back. Okay, I'm going to run down the commitments quickly. There were 13 commitments who were given uh, draftable grades. I guess I don't know if that's the the right choice of words, but. In other words, services like a perfect game or an ESPN or a BA and MLB.com gave them a rating, say, in the top 600 picks, which meant they thought they were draftable prospects. Only five of those 13 got picked, which tells me a lot of them had numbers uh, that were too much for Major League Baseball. The guys that they, quote-unquote, got through without being picked. Uh, James Peyton Smith, who was about a top 150. Same with Jonathan Vastine or Vastini. I'm not sure which it is. He's a shortstop. Then you go on down the line, Matthew Polk, Grayson Carter, Devin Futrell, J.D. Rogers, Ryan Ginther, Miles Langhorn, all undrafted. So you'd presume they all show up at Vanderbilt. The five who were drafted, Jordan Lawler went sixth overall to the Diamondbacks. I was told he really wants to come to Vanderbilt, was in Omaha. But I think everybody realistically within that program thinks when you get picked that high, the money's just going to be too much. I don't think anybody's expecting him to be in Nashville. I, I wouldn't say you know there's not a chance in a million that he'll be there. So you, you never know. But I would not, if you're a Vanderbilt fan, I spend a lot of time hoping for that. Josh Baez, I think, is going to be gone too. 54th overall to the Cardinals outfield commit. Then it gets a little dicier. Michael Morales went 83 overall to the Mariners. I would expect him to sign, uh, but I think there was some language he put out on social media yesterday talking about the decision, whether that's sincere, whether that's posturing. I, I don't know. I don't make a claim one way or the other, but we know what happens. And then you get Davis Diaz at 
round 12, who what I'm told they expect to get him into school, get him on campus. The Diamondbacks also picked him. I don't know if that was a backup plan against Lawler, but they think they'll get Davis to campus. And then Carter Holton, the last guy picked, round 19, two-way player, primarily will be used as a left-handed pitcher at Vanderbilt, I think. I think that would be the expectation going in. Uh, I would be very, very surprised if Holton signs and doesn't come to Vanderbilt based on some information. I got um, fairly close to that situation. So I would expect them, I'm going to say they'll lose Lawler, Baez, and Morales, uh, and have got a pretty good chance to get Davis and Holton through. Yeah, and, you know, that's therein lies the situation with um, with the roster management. When you When you have some guys who... You know, you get some kids like you mentioned with Lawler who hangs out in Omaha and was around the team, supposedly went to the games, and and you get and that relationship starts early, and some one or two of these guys sneak through and come to campus. That's where it really alters this roster management we're talking about because, and when we're talking about the returning guys, who would have thought that a situation two months ago, um, and I know we're going back to the the, the Vanderbilt roster current, currently where. Thomas Keegan, Ethan Smith, Maldonado were even conceived to be coming back. And then you, you talk about these kids you mentioned in the draft and it, and it just clouds the situation. I mean, Davis Diaz, maybe this type of kid, you know, a couple years ago who would be someone who, Oh, he's definitely going to get draft. He's going to get drafted and he's going to go. And then they, they sneak him on campus. So, and I've heard a lot of good things about him, Chris. Uh, through some people that I respect a whole lot as far as him coming in and perhaps making an impact. So, you know, the Carter Holton situation, he kind of made it known that I saw some video of him and some quotes that, you know, very confident young man feels like he can play, uh, you know, in the, in this league early. And, uh, you know, he, he's 5'10", 5'11", uh, electric fastball in the 90s. So, you know, there's this balance of people making decisions on what's best for them and their family, and then what's versus what I just mentioned as far as CJ, you know, betting on themselves that they can do better or the fact that they want to play under a staff led by Tim Corbin and crew, that they want to get better, that they see what happens with a Sonny Gray who didn't sign and David Price who didn't sign and all these guys um, that came before them and how they better themselves. And this is the fact, too, that you see a team that that continually is having success going to Omaha on, on a continual basis, it seems. And that's fun. You know, pro baseball, you know, it, it becomes a business and you're making twelve hundred dollars a month. You don't include your signing bonus and you're driving in buses and you're you're in um you know, they've cut the leagues down now in minor leagues, but you're still traveling in buses and you're, you're, it's not the, uh, it's not the glorious uh, types of playing what you were in Hawkins field and playing in Baton Rouge and playing in Oxford in front of 12,000 people. And so it, the way college baseball has presented itself and grown over the years, there's a lot to be said about going to school and it's got to be a stressful thing. It's not, I don't think a, a split decision where, well, I'm going, I'm coming to Vanderbilt or I'm doing the opposite and I'm going pro and I'm not even giving the other side the benefit of the doubt. So yeah. And looking at this list, the surprise, you know, the, the, the Holton thing, I think probably being drafted into the 19th round, he would have definitely had gone earlier with, he probably made it known that, you know, he was going to school unless it was just something beyond crazy. Um, to to 
for someone of the of the pro team to draft him. Uh, and, and you mentioned Lawler. I mean, you know, Lawler. I mean, what great publicity was that on the MLB Network? I think it was, or maybe it was ESPN. Then he mentions Tim Corbin in the interview that he did of how much he respects him and wants to play for him. And, you know, the, the publicity that this program got through these kids who went through the draft and the, the current kids and the recruits was just unbelievable. So, you know, a couple surprises when you were talking about the incoming freshman or the possible incoming freshman, and um, we'll just have to see how it sifts out. This season of the podcast made possible by my friend Jody Jones, DDS, located at 55 Music Square East in Nashville. If you have general or cosmetic dentistry needs, he's the guy you need to see. He is a former Vanderbilt football player. He is a Commodore Sports booster. He is the guy that stars in town go to see, if that's movie stars. Okay, I'm going to go through every position group quickly and let's start at catcher, which is the biggest mess. Right now, Rodriguez, we just don't know for reasons we went over. Max Romero in the transfer portal, uh, but Max hasn't landed anywhere yet. So could we see him look around and say, hey, I'm going to wait to see what CJ does. And if CJ goes pro, I can come back and, and be the number one catcher ostensibly. Who knows? You've got Alan Espinal. You've got the two freshman signees, Hunt and Migliaccio. You've also got the fact that Keegan was drafted by the Yankees and listed as a catcher. He's caught before. Does he come back if Rodriguez and Romero are gone? Say, hey, I'd like a crack at catcher and, and work there. I, I just think that position right now is a total wild card, and I cannot give you a guess as to how that will shake out with any degree of confidence. Yeah, it, it's it's the dominoes effect because you can't have – I don't see this team having six catchers on the roster. Um, could, but there's going to be some people who aren't going to be getting any time. So it really does predicate itself on what CJ does. And, and as you mentioned with Romero – you know, I, I'm really not usually someone asked me if someone uh, once they enter the portal, does that mean they can't come back? I'm, I'm sure that means they, they can, can come, come back. back. Yeah. Right. They can. But emotionally and whether how that's perceived by the staff or maybe they told him, you know, we think my opportunity might be for you to go play elsewhere. We don't know those inside conversations, but uh, that's it's definitely a domino thing and, and you can't really. You can have a feel of what you think somebody's going to do, but until you know on July 31st with the situation, unless he, he announces earlier, which I hope he announces that he comes back for Vanderbilt's sake, but until you know that last bit of money's thrown at him, then you really you don't have, don't have any idea. Yeah, and I'm going to assume for the sake of this exercise uh, that Cooper Davis is, is gone. He didn't get drafted. I would think he could probably sign a free agent contract somewhere. Um, they've got Hogan, Duff, Pataro, and O'Dowd in the transfer portal. I'm going to presume for the sake of this that they stay there. But then you go to first base, and that's another interesting one too because if you get Keegan back, you know he's probably your first baseman next year. But, again, we don't know – whether he signs, don't think he will, says he's not going to. Uh, but does he return as their first baseman? I would think so. Behind him, they've got Gavin Cassis, who I think they consider their first baseman of the future going into this season, played some. And then you got Spencer Jones 
who I don't know where he'll slot. When he played in the field, he played some first. I want to say he played some outfield in 2020. Of course, last year he couldn't play in the field or pitch because of that arm injury. So that's the situation there. It's second, Tate Colwick doesn't get picked. I presume he's your third baseman at third. You presume Gonzalez is gone and Nolan slides over to third at short you would presume, I would have to think Carter Young ends up as their shortstop again. Um, of course he will. Uh, and then you've got, if they get Diaz into school, you've got the two commits, Gordon and Vastine, who they got through the draft, who were highly regarded. So your infield, we may not know where all the pieces settle, but that's a pretty nice combination of returning talent and certainly some quality at shortstop. And I would think that you'd see some of those shortstop commits maybe get worked in at second, too, because that's the one place they are thin is middle infield depth with O'Dowd uh, leaving. I think Pataro, I can't remember if he was a corner guy or a middle. He didn't play much. But in any case, that's the place that I think you'll probably see some of those freshmen get some some backup reps uh, maybe anywhere but first base. But that's boy if you get all those guys back you get a healthy young you get Keegan back in a dream scenario you get Rodriguez back uh, that's one of the best infields in the country from day one next year yeah and we all know that the Corbin um, moves those guys around I mean they practice uh, and train at different positions you might have you know, uh, the shortstop take ground balls continually at second or third. And, and we've seen that all through. I mean, Austin Martin would, would do that often. So you don't get used to one position and they can sort of play musical chairs with those guys where they can move them around. But I mean, on, on the sheer numbers of what you're talking about, if there's 44 on the roster this year, which I know they just remind people they had an unlimited roster this year. We think so, that it's some would happen. say they usually do have an unlimited roster. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So 44, uh, but according to have, I know in years past, I mean, I think they could only have 35 people, whether they were walk-ons, paying their own way, partial, whatever scholarships that we have unlimited, as you jokingly mentioned. Um, the number was 44 this year. I, I'm seeing 11 off that number. Um, if Rodriguez, if if CJ comes back, if he doesn't, that would be so. It'd be 33, 32 if he if he doesn't come back, um, and that's just based on just my math here. That does not include any freshmen that we just went over ten minutes ago, uh, and we've got a few that are coming to campus that we didn't expect. You know, we thought maybe they were going to pass pass through and and sign. So. You know, there's there's going to have to be some movement here, and I'm sure there will be. Uh, and we talked about it last week. You know, there's there's with these COVID things. You, I think you mentioned that I, I forgot the word you said that Corbin had sort of mentioned. You know, the ship's got to sail. You know, you got to you can't be clogging up your roster because it's going to catch up with you one of these days. You're going to have to do something with that number, and you can't keep it at that high number all the time. And it's just some tough decisions that are going to have to be made when you're talking about that number. And again, I'm talking about, as you mentioned, Cooper Davis being a senior, probably moving on. Hugh Fisher more than likely signing, taking in the Hogan, Patero, Duff, O'Dowd in the portal, along with Romero. And then you have Locker, Ryder, um, Locker. 
I'm, excuse, I'm, me, excuse me. I've rubbed off on lighter. You. <laughs> you have rubbed off on me. Rocker and lighter. And then Jason Gonzalez, too. So to my count, that's 11. And um, that's going to be some a tough number to get to when I'm not even we haven't even mentioned any freshmen as far as getting that number to the 40 number. I mean, they, they roughly have 50 guys. I mean, and, and if you wanted to say, like, in some bizarre world where nobody signs, that number gets close to 60. And then you got some people like Laboki that I don't know if they'll get an injury waiver for him next year. There's some question whether he'll be able to pitch because he got hurt, you know, midway through the season. Usually you, you miss a year. Do you want to rush a guy back from surgery? I, would, I think probably not. Um, who knows there? But let, let's go to the outfield, where as of today, Vaz in left, Bradfield in center, Thomas in right was how they ended the year. Uh, you would presume Vaz comes back in left. Bradfield, of course, will be back in center. Thomas, uh, you'd presume, returns to school in right. I don't think he's going to sign a contract with anybody for you know an undrafted free agent money, given he was a top 100 pick. So that, that was just... Other than Gonzalez, uh, in fact, that might have been a bigger surprise than him getting drafted there, or, or excuse me, Rodriguez, was seeing Thomas not get drafted at all. But, I, you know, right now I guess you pencil in the same starting outfield that they left the year with? I would think so. I think uh, Thomas, if you're saying that Thomas is in right field, he's going to have to, uh, you know, he, I think he's got a cannon arm, and we've talked about how he, he's been hot and cold, and when he's hot, he's really hot, and when he's cold, there's a lot of swing and miss with him. But I think just with more training and more practice out there defensively, I think he missed some balls in Omaha that maybe he should have caught or should have gotten to. Um, and he's the real wild card out there because, of course, you've got Leneve as well. I mean, Leneve is, is a... a you know, caught fire the last several weeks of the season um, and then sort of slowed down there the last two weeks and didn't get much at-bats and playing time. So it's a good problem to have. It's just the log jam is with these juniors who I've mentioned who you probably two months ago were nowhere thinking that they were going to be coming back. Smith, Maldonado, Keegan, Thomas, Baz, um, Baz could have been someone, you know, of course he didn't get many at-bats the way he played at the end of the year. Um, in starting, um, I'm not saying that he should have maybe gotten a sniff in the draft, but he didn't. So it's eerily similar in a lot of ways to that 2019 team, but for different reasons. I think that 2019 team, national championship team, had some juniors who wanted to come back to do some unfinished business for various reasons emotionally with the Donnie Everett situation. They, they loved being on that team. Um, and they, and it came to fruition for them. And, but for this year it's coming up and, and for the 21, 22 campaign, the 22 spring campaign, you've got some guys who perhaps didn't get drafted where they wanted to, or didn't get drafted at all. And that kind of, when you got to weigh that as a coach, um, not saying that it's got to be a, well, it's got, it does have to be a little mental approach because the last thing you want, you want guys who want to come back and prove everybody wrong, but you don't want to have is, is people playing for the wrong reasons and feeling sorry for themselves and not wanting to, and, and doing it for the wrong reasons. And of course they have that opportunity to come back. It's not like we get spoiled 
as people who follow Vanderbilt that, oh, if you don't get drafted as a junior, you're no good. You, you're a failure. That's not the case at all. There's different reasons why kids don't get drafted. It could be injury. It could be the fact that maybe their number was too high or, you know, an Ethan Smith situation. There's some uncertainty there. You know, you mentioned that we, if you would have said two and a half months ago, Ethan Smith wasn't going to be drafted. I would have said you're crazy, but there's the situation of the not enough data, I think, on him and perhaps some arm issues he had when he tried to come back from COVID that could have had some scouts wondering, you know, well, maybe we should maybe wait a year on him. Uh, and, and, of course, we all know that if the draft were like it were several years ago and there were 30-plus rounds or whatever, all these guys would have been drafted because they don't count as far as your number. That's important. What is it, Chris? After the... Tenth round, is it that if if they get drafted and they don't get selected or they don't sign, then that number didn't doesn't get count against their pool, which is important for people. You, you're you're basically taking flyers on kids and seeing if you could work it out with some money left over late and and testing the waters and seeing if you because uh, you know a lot of these kids drafted in the in the past when you're drafting people in the 25th and 28th round. A lot of these kids, they know they're not going to get them anyway. It's just they're taking flyers and seeing if they can negotiate something in the end. Okay, I've recounted that really the list of players that I think we're working with is more like 43. Um, okay, and, was and, and, and one? Well, no, 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 not yet, because I'd said 50 earlier. Uh, and I had okay, some guys yeah. listed, like I had Spencer Jones listed a first baseman and an outfielder. Just as we go through the options, so just just to clear that up from early in the podcast, no, they're not going to have to shed ten guys. It's going to be a lower number than that. Again, Laboki, I don't know if they get a waiver uh, if they redshirt him next year. I think that I'm not. I don't mean to mindlessly speculate here, but that's something that's been brought up when I, you know, uh, not when I've talked to about with the team, but when I've had roster conversations with some other people. Some people have said, "Hey, would, would they consider?" getting an injury waiver for Laboki. Well, I don't know, but I want to throw that out as, as part of the roster math. Um, let's go to TH. Good grief. It's same thing again. It looks like you got Leneve, Bolger, and Jones battling out there. Again, that all presumes Rodriguez and Keegan. And by the way, if Rodriguez and Keegan go uh, and, and Romero goes too, then you subtract that a little bit more uh, and you get down a lot closer to the to the 40 number. I had those guys on here for different reasons because I, you know, just again, the way the circumstances broke in the draft, I wanted us to try to cover all our bases. Uh, apologies for rambling there, but again, wanted to clear up some roster math issues. Okay. And, and then you've got in the outfield, you got three freshmen coming in Mallory, Rogers, Smith. So once again, just log jam for people in playing time uh, between maybe left field and, and DH and um, again, whatever you do with Spencer Jones. Yeah. And, and the, and the question becomes, you know, you've tried him at first, right? He's been at a DH. He, he can run a, a little bit and more than a little bit for a big guy. He can, he's got a lot of speed. So it's an excess of riches a little bit that you can try different people. You can try, you've got the DH spot, as you mentioned, there's, there's some, it's a good problem to have. And the competition is going to be pretty fierce there with the incoming guys. And, and so the opportunity is there if these, these juniors or the draftable sophomores come back uh, to have a, a more mature team as far as age-wise with a lot of experience. 
uh, you to mix in some younger guys, but these young, you know, every year you, you have some younger guys who step right in. And I mean, who would have thought Enrique Bradfield Jr. I, I told you, I talked to that coach on the net who has some ties on the national team said, you know, that we knew this kid was good Enrique Bradfield Jr., but we didn't know he was going to be that good. And he was going to run like he did. Even Tim Corbin mentions that in the fall, he wasn't running like he did in the spring. Uh, and, and basically he had to challenge Bradfield to do so. So you got some kids who come in, you know, with some wide eyed and, 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 and not knowing how to really approach, uh, the competition and the cream's going to rise to the crop at the top of the, of the, you know, every situation. And so those, those are going to be some fierce battles in all those positions. You mentioned the outfield, the infield looks pretty set, but you get some kids come in there that, um, as, as Corbin says, the positions are not owned, they're rented and there's going to be some fierce competition. I mean, just imagine if Lawler had come to campus, just as this is play fantasy. What if, I mean, what happens at shortstop, Chris? I, oh, I, mean, I know. It, I mean, and, the, the, the possibility we, we could sit here, we could literally podcast all day and probably not nail the exact scenario that is going to play out. Yeah, and and you know, and one of those years, I know the money's still good, and the, they're still offering it, and and big league baseball still has the resources to do it with their pools of money and their bags of cash to do it. And I've talked a couple weeks ago about the scenarios where some schools get wiped out by draft. It looks like Tennessee got, uh, I don't want to say devastated, UT Knoxville. But they got pretty hit pretty hard. I know I mentioned uh, some people mentioned that Alabama got some um, top recruits and all the way around LSU, I think, had some early uh, some of their signees taken. Um, but so when teams get wiped out, what happens when the opposite happens? What happens when you have an, a top five in the country recruiting class and the, as Vanderbilt has had and will continue to have? What happens when that happens and they all come <laughs> when they, when they, they sneak through and they don't sign when you have kids who you expect to, to go pro and they don't, then what do you do when a Carter Holton, when the Carter Holtons of the world who, you know, insist they're coming to Vanderbilt and they don't get their number and they come, then you're stuck with that 50 number you're talking about. And, and then what do you do? And, and that's what I would be concerned with as a coach if, you know, you got your dry erase marker board in your in your office or whatever it is. I'm just, I know there's some charts and they're doing all their uh, finagling of how are we going to handle all this. And you know, every team probably in the country has this. But the fact of it being such an unknown compared to any sport that's out there, baseball, football, you don't have to deal with any of this stuff in, in these other sports like you do in baseball. And it's got to be maddening. Uh, to think about w what happens in, in a perfect case scenario when it happens one way or the other in, in building your roster. Chip, you're still pressed for time, aren't you? Yeah, we got to get ahead out of here in a little bit, but um, we can we can talk a few more minutes. But uh, it's um, I'm good. Okay, um, pitching. Let's let's try to wrap this up in a few minutes. Okay. Uh, oh, by the way, one more thing. I didn't mention Calvin Hewitt, TJ McKenzie. Those guys were outfield backups last year. Again, put them on the on the sheet of guys who you could see back again next year in the outfield. Let's go to pitching. 
God knows it won't play out like this. I've got six starting candidates. You never know who else they'll throw in. But right now, I'm looking at starting pitching candidates. The, the six that may make the most sense to me, Little, Riley, Ethan Smith, Doolin, Schultz, McIlvain. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, that's a good list to go with. Um, and, um, you know, it's going to be different. It's going to have to be some some change for Vanderbilt fans of having – the rocker lighter uh, combination going one, two, but always it seems like every year someone steps to the forefront, a freshman comes in in April or early April, late March and, and seizes the opportunity. And you, a lot of those battles you see in the fall will happen where um, someone will separate themselves, but that's, that's a very good, very talented um, group of six that you mentioned. And then the Maldonado, you know, we, can he turn into be like a cops type pitcher where he's used, you know, twice on the weekends on a consistent basis and he can get six to nine outs. And and that's something also to uh, look at. So there's enough arms there. You, you got to wonder if, if, you know, with a, a Doolin situation or Brett Hansen situation, those two guys too, whether they can step in and um, they certainly have the accolades, but for different reasons, um, you know, one was injury and one was, uh, you know, returning from a Mormon mission uh, where he's an older kid as a freshman. And, and I know they're both uh, well and, and the situation with um, with Hanson, he's been pitching in the summer league and has gotten some, a lot of action and bumpy road. Not not horrible, but not great so far. So uh, but he's just getting his feet wet again. So those are i would add those two and as far as wild cards to the six that you mentioned um people who can step up and then you got to establish your pin i don't know if McIlvain is uh i think he's a sunday starter at best but a, a a darn good sunday starter if we needed him consistent but i see his role being what he did this year kind of being the glue factor of being somebody who can step in give you four or five innings when you need it and i think he's talented so and then, you know, you've got Berkwich. I've got, had some people who argue this in, in Omaha this year is, you know, why wasn't Berkwich a consideration for somebody to sandwich in between lighter and rocker or to give them an, uh, you know, I think he came a long way from the pitcher who pitched in Missouri with, that came in for lighter when they had the no hitter and he gave up the, you know, gave up a couple runs and every, it was kind of the playful disappointment that they had that, you know, well, we gave up a, a no hitter and the, and the rookie came in, but I was impressed with Berkwich, I will say, um, uh, as he pitched and the way he'd handled himself in Omaha. And he's a guy that could give you some, you know, maybe a midweek start uh, and or some and some innings on the weekend. So there, it's not like the cupboard's bare. I've, I've seen some messages on your board that, you know, yes, it's going to be different. Of course, it's going to be different when you have two guys taken in the top 10 picks as talented as they were. But it's not like there's not any talent there. And it's not like that some of these new fresh faces won't come in and give you what, uh, you know, if can, if, if everything holds to the way it's happened in the last four or five years, there've been guys step out of the shadow and next thing you know, they're in the rotation. And the next thing you know, those guys are the ones getting drafted in the top five rounds, uh, when they're eligible. Yeah. I think Burke, which will be a really good lefty out of the pen for them. And that's where I'm going to go next. Your, your lefty candidates. And again, I'm going to presume these are their left-handed relievers. You never know. They could move like a Hunter Owen and make him a starting candidate. Cause he's, he's big. And I would think there's some durability there. Burke, which, you know, like you said, why not? I mean, I, I, that kid looked really good to me and he's hard to, to hit. Um, 
anyway, I, I'm just going to sort the remaining options, lefty, righty. I'm going to leave Maldonado in his own category. I'm going to call him the closer next year and just leave him there for now. Now, knowing the way they do things, and I don't say this to be critical, uh, but they like to mix and match. And sometimes you see the guy that's going to be the closer ends up as a guy that they try out in the rotation. So I don't know what they'll do with Maldonado. Closer seems to make the most sense because it's worked there for him, but uh, just put him as the closer with sort of an asterisk next to him. Your left-handers out of the pen that we've not discussed, you got Berkwich, Owen, Hansen, Stefiak, and Keenan. None of those three pitched last year. Keenan, I believe, was an injury red shirt. Hansen just, I don't think, ever got in shape. He'd sat out a couple years from a Mormon mission. That was always going to be a tough proposition. Uh, you know, he was a top 100 talent, I think, out of high school by some. So you never know where that's going to go. Then you got your freshman. You got Ginther Holton. Uh, and I've got Polk in there, too. I don't think that's right. I think Polk is a um, is an outfielder. So that's that's another outfielder I forgot to mention. I think I just put him in the wrong slot. Righties, you've got Miles Garrett. I, I don't know about the surgery when that happens, when he returns, but he could be a right-handed option if he's healthy. Then you got Evans, Bradley, and Moore off the roster. The last two didn't pitch a lot. Evans threw, I think, a little bit in Omaha. I want to say he... He mopped up in that second game against Mississippi State. Then your freshman, you got Carter, Cunningham, uh, Magrins region, and James Peyton Smith, who's a highly regarded kid they got through the draft. And again, uh, whatever you do with Laboki, uh, just to, to put him on the list in this discussion too. But uh, tons of arms, Chip. Yeah, and the, and the, this, this team, this staff has had – uh, I would say an abnormal uh, amount of left-handed um, lack of left-handed pitching. Um, you know, if you, if you really think about it, Berkowitz was, uh, of course we had, you know, the Hugh Fisher situation Would he come in in situations, um, you know, to get an out or two, but Berkowitz was the only kind of middle reliever, middle innings reliever to give him some innings uh, this year. And I know they want to expand that. So you know, lots of names, Chris, <laughs> lots of, uh, of time to sort it out. Um, and it, and it's going to be a competitive fall and, and some, you know, who knows every once in a while you get some freshmen who we've had this happen that don't report. I'm not sure that, that that's going to happen this year, but for whatever reason, some guy gets homesick or sees the writing on the wall or, or, uh, doesn't, you know, work out at the, and leaves in, in December or January after their fall year. There's all sorts of things, and I'm not, you know, these this coaching staff has their work cut out for them, but it's not like it's it's a talent that it's not a talent issue. It's just sort of moving the positions around as far as making the most competitive situation for the fall, and that's why they have it. I hope that uh, they haven't announced plans yet as far as having another series with an Oklahoma State if they're going to do that, or if they move on to another one of of Tim Corbin's close contacts, which makes sense that they do that. They do, you know, if it's playing teams like a Tulane, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but the fact that there's ties to that staff or uh, moving it to, but I, I do know that if you notice, they don't, they want to play a competitive game in the fall, a series where they can get as much work in and, and put these players in game situations uh, as much as possible and, and, and get them battle tested before they get out there in the spring. Yeah, they've done Texas, that was there, Oklahoma State here and there, and uh, Fullerton, right? 
I think so. Yeah, yeah. They did Fullerton about yeah six or seven years ago. So who knows? But um, yeah, Chip, uh, I, I apologize. We kind of had to rush through this. Both of you and I had things pressing this morning that we had to tend to that just couldn't be helped, and so this went a little shorter than I think we would have liked to have done. Um, but again, thank you for joining us. Any parting thoughts before we end the show? No, uh, I just think that uh, the surprise, I would say it's a little surprising, more than a little surprising about Isaiah Thomas. Not sure what that tells us. Looking back in the summary of the draft, well, it'll be uh, very interesting to follow his path, how they get him to where he's coming back. If you know, If he does so, unless he signs unexpectedly a free agent contract, I don't think he will. Don't have any inside info, but how they're going to do that. Um, you know, any other surprises, I say, of course, the CJ Rodriguez situation is one to follow and one that I think will be very important one for this team's success. I'm not saying it's going to be a failure if he doesn't come back or the world's ending, but that's one to watch that I think if he comes back, uh, that really solidifies, as you mentioned, not only the middle infield where they can shell around and play, move some guys, but also behind the plate, which we saw how valuable that was this year. So, Looking back on the draft, a little unusual as far as that's concerned. Um, people probably went where they wanted, you know, as far as Rocker and Lighter. And it's good to see that Rocker, even in that 10th spot, is going to get paid like a more of a, a fourth or fifth pick. And happy for those guys. Good to see the smiles on their faces uh, and, and get rewarded like they did. Very happy for Luke Murphy. I'm sure he's... Uh, going to get, you know, going to go and get some good money. And I think he's a big leaguer one day. I think he's a guy that's a couple years away, but I think you'll be seeing him on a big league mound as well, uh, along with uh, Rocker and Lighter coming up. So uh, good publicity in summary, Chris. It was a great, um, the disappointment of losing the College World Series in the final and all that happens, but my goodness, you cannot say enough about what the publicity that Vanderbilt had as far as a program. I think Vanderbilt's social media did a great job uh, and I'm not sure who was in charge of that, but pumping out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the videos they did with Corbin narrating uh, what it's like to be a Vandy boy and and how you never leave when you when you go go pro, you're always considered a Vandy boy. It was I'm going to pay pay credit where credit is due. They did an outstanding job of taking advantage of where they were from the top picks. And they ran with it. And and sometimes people can be critical of things over there and the media relations or the fact that they dissolved the department. I get all that. That's a whole separate discussion. But the Vanderbilt baseball media division, those in charge of that, their social media and their promotions, I will say that they took advantage of it and did a great job of promoting this program in the last seven days. And that's free advertising, right? I mean, that is, you cannot... Put a number on what that does for recruiting, uh, what it does for the university, but mainly for Tim Corbin's program. It, it solidifies it even more, not like it needed it, but it, if you're a kid who's hot shot, 14, 15 year old, it makes you look at Vanderbilt uh, way more, not way more than you probably already were, but it really does anchor that position as far as, wow, I want to go play there. All right, a couple parting thoughts on my end. I think their lineup has a chance to be tremendous next year. Reminds me a lot of 2019, where they had the disappointment of 2018. You saw a lot of guys come back for a senior year you didn't expect to come. Now, I don't think they've got a Martin 
and a Bladet, who in my mind are the best two hitters they've ever had, at least in my time covering them. I don't know that there's hitters at that level, but I think they're going to be really deep one through nine. I think their bench is going to be terrific. I think they've got enough depth there to sustain injuries if they happen, which, of course, they got just littered with those this year. Pitching, I see a lot of depth. I think everybody's at the question is, do they have a real horse in there? Uh, they've always had one, whether it's a, a Sonny Gray, a Kyle Wright, a, you know, Jeremy Sowers, if you want to go back. I mean, name, name any one of a dozen names. That's the real question. Is Little Riley, one of those guys, even Ethan Smith, ready to step up and, and be that you know first or second team All-American guy? That's the biggest question, I think, outside of maybe catcher on this team. Uh, I, I like some of the younger arms they've got. They've got some talent. They always have two or three freshmen who step up and are ready to go. So uh, I have a feeling they'll figure it out with pitching. They usually do, but should be an interesting bunch to watch next year. Again, my apologies that we didn't get to everything um, and some mailbag questions that were left, which get left in our war room. I will take the time and try to answer those personally in the war room since we didn't get to them today. Chip, you've got a thriving real estate business. I'll let you tell folks about that before we close. Yeah, I'll just be real quick, Chris. Uh, Frederick and Clark Realty, we're Vanderbilt folks. We've been around for over, goodness, since 19, early 1960s and long time relationship with Vanderbilt with our ownership group and my late father being a former basketball player there in the uh, 1950s. So established firm. We have over 180 agents here in the Middle Tennessee area, two locations, one in Brentwood in the Maryland Farms area and one in Green Hills, two blocks uh, north or it'd be east of them all. So looking forward to talking to any of your listeners here. If you have any real estate needs at all, residential real estate needs on the buy or sell side, give us a try. Give us a call. You can call me personally, Whit Clark, a Vanderbilt graduate, uh, big baseball fan, won the ownership group. My brother, Steve Vanderbilt graduate who runs, he's the head broker of the company and myself also an owner. So we just ask you for a chance. If, if you're looking at any type of scenario of selling your home in this competitive market, make sure, do me the favor of at least talking to us so we can walk you through it and give you some professional advice. There's a lot of money to be made out there. If you're going to stay in the area, if you sell your home, you're going to have to buy your home, buy another home. And that's where it gets tricky as well. So don't forget that there's a lot of resources on the internet with you, people buying your homes and making an offer of, of, of a, um, quick offer and sell quickly, be, be cautious of that and make sure you're not leaving any money on the table because we all know when people compete for your home, when you're selling, uh, it, it only helps you, especially in this highly competitive seller's market that we're in. So our website's frederickandclark.com. You can call us at the office at 615-327-4800. Chris, it's been a pleasure doing this with you this year. It's been a lot of fun. It's um, We'll see how this goes if some other developments happen, but I've always had fun doing that. And I enjoy hearing from people who, who listen to this podcast, who enjoy it. I think it's more than, you know, and, and people appreciate uh, all the work you do with the website. Well, thanks. And I know I got a lot of great feedback on having you on the show this year too. We appreciate that. We'll do um, a couple more of these maybe before calendar year. I think maybe uh, we could do one in August when the dust settles on this maybe. And, and, clear up some loose ends then of course fall ball in october would love to do one of those with you as i know we'll both try to be there at that series yeah that would that'd be fun to do so um 
thanks to all the support of a, a good year for Vandy baseball and and great things to come uh, coming down the road. Just keep the faith and and uh, buy those season tickets and make it a normal thing when we we can pack the hawk out and and get it to more. I think one thing that we've seen this year. I think it was not a wake-up call, you would say, for Vanderbilt fans, but you know, seeing the, what Mississippi State did, and I'm not saying we can get 19,000 people at a game, but I don't see any reason why, and I'm just challenging out here. I know that different people have different means, but to me, there's no reason why the Hawks shouldn't be packed out every game, and I think that's this team deserves it. They deserve when we get back to normal, hopefully coming for the next year that we don't have any blips in the radar that a packed house is just a normal thing. I don't care if you're playing Tennessee Tech on a Wednesday or you're playing on the weekend. Baseball has grown too much in the city as far as Vanderbilt also is concerned where they shouldn't pack it out and and be one of the premier events in this town to go watch sports. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right, he's Chip Frederick. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Uh, schedule uncertain for the next few days. I'm on vacation next week. I might try to get one more in before we go. But in any case, hit that subscribe button. When we've got one up next, you'll know about it. And thank you for listening, as always. Thank you for